Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue our series in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, this morning is going to be a little bit different than uh, a typical sermon, although we are still going through 1 Thessalonians verse by verse, which we will do. Uh, the application I'm going to um, apply to us individually and corporately in the sense of how it relates to our assessment that we got recently. So, um, so it's a little bit different. Hang with me. It'll, it'll flow just fine, I think. Um, Wednesday, uh, Thursday and Friday this week, my wife and I were uh, in charge of the grandkids uh, while my daughter and her husband got away for their anniversary. And uh, Thursday evening, it was nice outside, and uh, the fishbacks had gotten us, uh, given us one of their old, I don't know what they're called, like little tykes, like play, the, those plastic things that all go together, it's a little play structure thing for kids. And so my wife said, hey, it's nice out, why don't you go get that, and we'll put it together. And so first of all, uh, they don't go together as easily as they look at all. Uh, the little pieces just don't snap in the way they're supposed to, and with having fractured my wrist earlier this year, pushing those things together wasn't working well. And so we finally got this thing together. And uh, I had found some uh, Tonka trucks at a garage sale. And so I put some of those out for uh, my grandson to play with. And they came out. They were so excited. And, and they played on it in trucks. But pretty quickly, my grandson, Owen, uh, was more obsessed with the gate, a little small little gate that goes to my parents' patio. Uh, we had bought this gate to try to keep my dog uh, from bugging them when they didn't want the dog there, but uh, it wasn't a big enough gate. He can just jump right over it. So it's just decorative now at this point in time. And so here we are, this play structure in this Tonka truck, and Owen is just the whole time just opening and closing the gate, going in and out of it. And it kind of sometimes, you know, I feel like God says, well, here's what you're supposed to do, or here's what I'm giving you, and we get sidetracked with something shiny over in the corner and we're distracted by it. And so I want to just kind of talk about the assessment and some of the things that maybe we are distracted by and what we need to focus on uh, a little bit more. And we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4 in just a little bit. So uh, we did this whole assessment, and we had these significant findings. This was a survey done uh, in our church. And uh, the significant findings kind of rated things from best to worst, and so at the top was preaching, thank you very much, and they, they I, not, not my word, their word, but preaching sizzles. Okay, um, thank you for that. Um, notice where I have the, the arrow, care, fellowship, and community, uh, 3.32, which marks clearly needs work. Now, it's great, I'm glad that the preaching, that, that many of you appreciate that, but I really have a problem with how that's Rated, and I'll get to it in a second. The other assessment we did was called Natural Church Development. And in the Natural Church Development, which is, has been around for a long time, I love this, this survey, um, they find that 70% of churches will score between 35 and 65, as we did. Churches scoring in this range have a measure of health they can build on. The problem is, in the 35 to 65, we scored 35, right at the bottom of that. So we're right on the bubble. Uh, churches below that are all in decline. And if you look at our numbers, we are in decline. 
And so they gave us these different categories of things that they rated, and uh, you can see them up there, empowering leadership and, and holistic small groups and all these different things. Um, the second lowest in our church was loving relationships. So that would fall under the care, fellowship, and community. Those things are kind of rated. What we rated in two different surveys. Um, so the preaching sizzles, but our care, our loving relationships needs significant improvement. Here's the problem I have with that. Scripture clearly says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We just sang it. They will know we are Christians by our love, not by our preaching, not by our buildings, but by our love. So let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, not the whole chapter, I'm sorry. I'm picking up in uh, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves know, uh, for, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So in the context, uh, if you were here uh, last a week, we, we, in actually two weeks actually, we talked about this idea of this holiness that Paul is picking up in chapter 4. And we see the word sanctification and holiness a few different times in that passage. And holiness is defined as separated, different, and set apart. We talked about separated, being different, and set apart is like those good dishes. They're set apart for a special occasion. Consecrated and made over to him. And so last week, we looked at that we are separated from our culture and our purpose. Our purpose is to please God. And then we focused in on purity. Uh, we sh showed in the passage last week that he mentions relationship, which he furthers in this passage. And then uh, finally, authority. We have a different authority. We're separated in that. So um, as we look at this idea of brotherly love, our church must grow in loving relationships. Brotherly love. To put it another way, we need love to sizzle. Um, doesn't mean that something else can't sizzle, but we need love to sizzle. Relationships in the church from the passage and the purpose of loving relationships. So first of all, the source. Paul says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. So um, how did they learn about brotherly love? Well, there was a godly example uh, that took place in the life of Paul. Um, we've seen that kind of over and over in the passage. In chapter 1, verse 6, he said, you became imitators of us. Um, in chapter 2, uh, verse 7, but we were gentle among you like nursing mothers. And so Paul, Paul had taught them by his life what it looks like for brotherly love. 
as I was preparing this this week, this struck me. So I'm going a little bit uh, off script and, and to the heart here, and I've been thinking about how I want to say this. As I thought about our need as a church to grow in brotherly love and my leadership to lead you in that way, I kind of questioned God a little bit. Now, that doesn't go very far. I'm just telling you. I've, we've all done it. Lord, Lord, why am I here? Why are you putting us through this? And then we quickly remember that God is sovereign and God is good. And God, you know, and so we kind of go, okay, God, I get that about you, but I don't, I don't understand. If Hillsborough First Baptist Church needs to grow in brotherly love, I would say they probably, um, probably needed a different shepherd. This is an area that I struggle with. I, I find myself to be a little relationally broken. Some of that is personal. I don't need to go into all that. And part of it, to be honest with you, is being a pastor for 20 years. I mean, it's a rough go. People that you've poured your life into who, you know, no longer want to speak to you. And so when I looked at this, I said, God, I, I, re- I am convicted that Hillsborough First Baptist Church needs to grow in brotherly love. It needs to sizzle. So why did you put me here? And I came to this conclusion. We both need to grow in brotherly love. You have something to teach me. I have something to teach you. And I just say that because I believe in the sovereignty of God. So somehow, I am saying to you, I am confessing to you, that this is an area that I'm broken. But before you point your finger at me, according to the surveys, it's an area that you're broken into. So, godly examples. Second, godly teaching. Um, In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says... But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so our theme for this is ordinary people, they're going through much affliction, but they found joy in it. And because of that, they're growing as a church and becoming contagious. And part of that comes from the example of Paul, and some of that comes through godly teaching. But but chapter 4, verse 9 Paul specifically points out one reason that they, are, that they know about brotherly love. And he says this in verse 9. Listen to it again. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. That's really the source of it. And so I want to remind you, church, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are being transformed. There is a transformation that is happening because we are in Christ. Paul says, behold, you are new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. We talked about the idea of sanctification. Sanctification is the process in which we are becoming holy. And so there's this transformation that's taking place. And we need to be reminded in our broken relationships that the transformation is taking place because we have a new heart. Thank God. 
So whatever the brokenness is that causes us to be uh, difficult in relationships, we're reminded that God already knew we were broken and he gave us a new heart. In Jeremiah, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Over and over again in the New Testament, this idea is brought into what it means to be in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a new heart. Praise God for that. Second, we have a new reason. That is, we have a new reason to love. We love because he first loved us. Now, somehow, when, when we're kind of thinking about how we come to Christ or our relationship with Christ, now, I'm somebody that beats myself up pretty regularly. I don't need the help of the church, but you often offer it. Um, I, I tend to beat myself up, and so... If, if you're asking me, Dave, what, you know, what is good in you? I can, I can look at preaching sizzles, but I won't say that because I just, I just, I have, some of you don't have that problem. Uh, it, it's just, some of you, if you ask, I mean, I, I just I talk to you and you're about the best looking, greatest person that's ever walked the face of the earth. And so it's just kind of the opposites of how people face life. But what, what we need to remember is the only reason that you and I are in Christ is because God sought after us. There is nothing in us where God said, oh, I like that person, but I don't like... It is, we are all fallen and separated from God, and God so loved us that he pursued us. And so we have this reason. Because God loves us, we love others. Because the goal is to please God, we love others. Because of the witness it provides to the world. We just sang about that, and it's also in this passage. So this transformation provides a new heart. It gives us a new reason. And third, we have a new example. The example to follow is not me, but it's Jesus Christ. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 1 John 2.6. I like the NIV there a little bit better, and so I read that one. The good news is this, growing in love, that seems really difficult. But here's the truth. If we're in tune with God's love, if we lean into him, we can do more and more. Now, I would argue that we all need to grow in love. And I'm going to argue it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need to anyone to write to you. That sounds great. You're doing great. In fact, we already read about how this love is, is spreading all throughout Macedonia. They've already become a sending church of missionaries. Even though they're going through this huge persecution, they are they are sending out other people onto the mission field. People are coming to Christ from this church. It's growing. It seems healthy. Paul says, you don't need me to talk about this, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And so if you're here this morning and you say, well, when it comes to loving people, I think I'm doing pretty good at that. It really is Dave's problem. No, 
What Paul would say is you do more, you do more. You, this is something that we just keep going in. That's the sanctification process. That we just keep growing and growing in our holiness. So we don't need anybody to teach us. It's in our hearts. But we're fight against it. So what's the focus of loving relationships in the church? Paul gives three commands. Uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 10, For this is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but urge you brothers to do this more and more. Verse 11, And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Three commands. The first is strive hard to work quietly. It's not quite there in, the, in the, your Bibles, but that's kind of the, the, the emphasis of the Greek. Aspire, work hard, to live quietly. Isn't that kind of funny? God wants you to work hard to live quietly. What does that mean? The emphasis here is not on uh, you know, just keeping silent. The emphasis here is not drawing attention to yourself. Boy, that's that's an interesting statement in our society today. Last night, uh, just kind of nothing to do, flipping through the channels, I landed on Shark Tank. I don't know if you've ever watched this, but these people pitch their business ideas to these millionaires to see if they can get them to invest. And this one guy's business, which they did in fact invest in, was a device that clicks under the top of your phone. And on it is like a dog ball or a dog treat to help get a better selfie of your dog. It was a dog selfie tool. (laughs) I love my dog, but I did not buy one. I I will say this, isn't it interesting that we have these great entrepreneurs and what are they helping promote in our society? Our obsession with taking pictures of ourselves and our dogs and our food. The idea of living quiet lives is not to draw attention to yourself, Christian. It's not to, it's the old saying, you know, when, when uh, our parents used to say, do as I do, not as I say, or do as I say, not as I do. That's what it was. Do as I say, not as I do. The idea of the Christian life is do as I do. It's just, just watch me live this. Live it. Um, My first pastorate, uh, I was in a small town up in the mountains, and one of my elders, his name was Bill Mounts. Uh, Bill Mounts' wife uh, had had a stroke, and he cared for her. Um, But I learned a little bit more about Bill's story. Bill was married and had two kids, and his wife died uh, really early. Um, His his kids were still in uh, junior high and high school. He raised his kids uh, through high school. One of them had MS, and when it was time for her to go to college, he took a year off of work. He was the, the, the high school janitor. He took a year off to work and went to Bible college with his daughter to get her settled in into school. He came back and and met Helen, and they got married. And Helen had a stroke just a few years into their marriage. 
And in 1987, he started caring for her full time. I became the pastor there in 2000. Um, And I learned more about marriage from Bill Mounts than any book or any person in my life. Bill never talked to me about marriage. But I just remember there would be times that we would have meetings. And where I pastored was up in the mountains in the snow. I'm not a great, I don't know why, how I ended up there either, God's sovereignty again, because I'm not really a snow person. And there was no doubt you had to shovel your driveway to get out, to go to a meeting that you had to shovel the church driveway to get into and in there. And I was already tired before the meeting started. And I was just about to complain when Bill Mounts would drive up in his big old Cadillac and pull Helen out of that car and push a wheelchair in the snow up the ramp that we had built for him. And I said, I better keep my mouth shut. One time we had given Bill and and Helen a gift certificate to a restaurant for some of the work they had did. Uh, It was a restaurant in the next town over about 20 minutes because Helen loved the chicken fried steak there. And one day he loaded Helen up to take her out for dinner and drove down to the town, got all the way to the restaurant and realized he didn't have the gift certificate. I said, Bill, what did you do? He said, I drove home and got the gift certificate because Helen wanted her chicken fried steak. It was, she was just, it was in her mind. She couldn't. Bill lived and strived to live a quiet life that just exploded with Christ's love. He never had to tell me. He showed me. And he didn't just do it out of obligation because I sat with him on the bed when Helen passed. And he was lost, just as any husband would be, after caring for her for all those years. Strive hard to live quietly. The next thing that Paul says, the second command, may we all hear it, mind your own business. Mind your own business. I mean, isn't that what, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, you know, reinterpret the Greek here, but mind your own affairs, and that's what I hear, right? Mind your own business. I was thinking of the things that I think they still teach this in, in school, the think, right? When you, before you say something, think, and the T stands for, is it true? The H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? The N, is it necessary? And the K, is it kind? Think. As I was looking at that, you know, to be honest with you, I I need to change it because is it true is important. Is it helpful is important. Is it inspiring? I don't care. I mean, if it's true and it's helpful, then whether it inspires is, is irrelevant to me. Is it necessary specifically for building people up? Is it kind? It may not be taken as kind if it's necessary and it's helpful. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I was, this won't surprise you, I was at a Starbucks, but it was a Starbucks in uh, um, Seaside. I was part of an ordination council, and I got there early, and I was sitting for an hour to just study, and I'd read the guy's stuff to get ready to quiz him. And as I was sitting there, it was this beautiful day on the coast. It was like 80 degrees in Seaside, which is, you know, kind of unusual, 
And I thought it was great. The people of Seaside, I think they thought that, that end times were coming. It was just too hot for them. They were freaking out. And this one mom comes in with her, her toddler into Starbucks. She was walking and she was just exhausted by the heat. I was like, what in the world is happening here? And so she just got a water and she sat down and her toddler was all over Starbucks, screaming loud, climbing over the seats, running into the bathroom. And she kept saying, and by kept saying, I mean like 50 times, if you don't stop, we're going to leave. Now, I had some parental advice at that point in time that was roaming through my head. And I honestly believe it was true. It would have at least been helpful to me. It would not have been inspiring. I do believe it was necessary. But it wasn't my place. And I think sometimes Christians... We think it's always our place, and it's not. There are people in this church who are discipling groups of people that, you know what? Just stay out of it. Let them disciple who they're discipling, and the next generation looks very different than, than your generation. Is it your place? And the third command seems a little out of place. When you look at the first two, he says, right, here we go again, inspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands. It's the idea of just kind of keep your eyes on your own work. Now there's something going on in the culture in Thessalonica that he is specifically dealing with that has to do with work, as you read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And there's different thoughts to why these commands are given. And so specifically, why these commands? Some people say it's because the Greek had this idea that work was beneath them, and they just wanted to sit around and talk about philosophy. Um, and sometimes Christians are that way. I don't want to actually do ministry. I just want to talk about theology. Some people say that there's a shortage of work in Thessalonica, but the emphasis is here on their willingness to work, not on the availability of work. There is also a problem that's going on that seems like some people in Thessalonica thought they missed the second coming. And so some people have theorized that they sold everything and were sitting around for Jesus and then he didn't come and now they don't have anything to work with. I don't think that's necessarily. Some modern scholars have found a, another option that there was a, a class system going on in this world at this time and especially in Thessalonica of patrons. A patron was a rich person who, because they were Greek and they got to sit around and talk about philosophy all the time, would pay the poor people to do everything for them, like every little thing. And then, because they were in that position, they liked to meddle with the poor people's life. It was kind of like a modern-day uh, reality TV that they lived out in the lives of these people. And so Paul might have been calling that whole thing out, saying, you know what, you just do your work, let them do their work. We don't know exactly, but these were specific commands to Thessalonica. So I began to think, if Paul were writing to us, Hillsborough First Baptist Church, about love that clearly needs work, what would he say to us? 
Now, I'm being a little pastoral here, so it's not open, you know, we don't have an open, you know, brainstorming session here, but I came up with five things that I think we need to think about. What about us? We must continue to practice forgiveness, that is reconciliation. There's a difference between just forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. Reconciliation is, I will forgive you and I will continue to work with you. It's a little bit more of the process. Now, I just want to say that as, as some of the things that came up in the assessment, that was a big one. And actually, I know sometimes you feel like there's not a lot going on with the assessment, but that's one thing as I ran into John Long, who's the one that kind of shared this with us uh, at the uh, ordination. I said, John, I just want to tell you that some really good reconciliation has taken place. So, oh man, I was going to ask you. So we sat down and, and, and talked for a while about that. I said, some really good things are happening there. And so I'm excited about that. There's, but we... We can't just say, we've done that. We, that is like something that we continue to do. We have to keep going with it. This one's a little bit harder to digest, so just work with me a little bit. I think in some ways we need to, to, to decide on who we're going to reach. So going back to the demographics that they shared with us, and we've seen this, 75 plus age-wise in our community is 3.7% of our community, those who are 75 plus. In our church, it's 23.4%. Okay? 20 to 34-year-olds in our community, 23%. In our church, 8%. In our community, 65 plus is under 10%. In our church, it's over 45%. In our community, 20 to 44, almost 40%. In our church, it's only 15%. So I've had some people say all throughout this process, Dave, we just need to be a church for older people. That should be our target. And I've heard it enough times that I need to address it publicly. Some of you hunt and fish. Raise your hand, you hunt and fish. Well, I thought it'd be more. There's like three of you. Man. Should have come up with a better illustration. <laughs> has anybody here ever hunted and fished? All right, that's a little better. Nobody wants to claim that. If I said we're going fishing, and I know that in this lake, there's 10% fish, and in this side of the lake is 45% fish, which side of the lake do you want to fish on? Some of you are going, well, there's less people in the 10%, so <laughs> you're the only one on the lake. We're going to a huge forest, hundreds and hundreds of miles. Over this direction, 10% of the elk. Over here, 45% of the elk. Where are you going? I'm going over here. It doesn't make sense to target 10% of our population. Not to mention, in hunting terms, those elk have avoided being shot for a lot of years. <laughs> Those are some smart elk over there. They're not interested in getting shot. <laughs> look, it make, look, I'm just telling you. If you're thinking this needs to be a church for just older people, and I've talked and I have permission to say this, 
Rich and I will not lead you there. We will not. A, we don't think it's biblical, and B, it doesn't excite us. And I am not in that age bracket. Some of you keep trying to put me in there. <laughs> Had kids early. I'm 50. 50's been hard. I'm falling apart this year. But I'm not there. I won't lead you there. Hillsborough First Baptist Church is 135 years old plus four months. The average church cycle is 50 years. That is, most churches close their doors after 50 years. We're on our third life cycle. It's amazing. I don't want to be the one that says we're done. God has planted us in the heart of Hillsborough on the corner of Lincoln and 2nd, and this is a gift that we are to steward to our community. There was a Baptist church just down the street. I didn't know they were closing their doors. They closed their doors and they sold the building to a cult. What in the world? I promise you, if we had known that, we would have gone to the other Baptist churches in town and we would have bought it. I, I, James is like, James Gleason, I was talking, we were both shaking our heads. He said, if I would have known, I would have purchased it personally. He's saying, Dave, please. We can't close the doors there at Hillsboro. There's got it. You're the only one left over there. What are we going to do? We're going to reach some young families. Next. We must outdo one another in showing honor. I know some of you grew up, um, and it's biblical, the idea of showing honor to older folks. It's very much in the Bible. Um, however, Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection. That's what we're talking about. Outdo one another in showing honor. So if you finally made it, and according to our statistics, 45% of you have, to the group that gets to get honor, Paul says, Give it away. Paul says, don't claim your honor. Give it to somebody else. He says, but I just got here. Some of you have been there a while. But it, give it away. We must individually find ways to love sacrificially. Sometimes in what is the church going to do? What is the church going to do? What is the, this is brotherly love. It's, it can be individual in its application. How are you sacrificially showing love to the next generation? How are you sacrificially showing love to those who are going through difficult times? How are you sacrificially showing love to your neighbors? Uh, parents and I, we were, we were kind of, uh, we were shown up this week, uh, last week, our neighbor was cutting his lawn, and my dad made a joke. Oh, you know, we all do it, right? Hey, come cut ours. He did. I'm like, oh, no. So yesterday, he comes to the door, a package got delivered, wrong place, and I said, we need to have your wife and I, your wife, you know, and you over for dinner. I mean, you showed us up. I didn't say that. 
but man, why did he sacrifice lovingly before I did? How are we sacrificing our time, our treasures, our talents, sacrificially to love other people? And I'll just tell you that, that when we do it, we don't always get the response that we want. It's been my experience. Last thing, these were my five. We must reach out outside our tribe. Some of you go, I'm not part of a tribe. Click, tribe, group of friends, support group, small group, whatever you want to call it. I like the word tribe because of this. Even though you've been friends for a long time, you kind of have your own language. You have your own value system. You have your own preferences. And when somebody else comes in, they throw that all off. Think about it. We need to get all of us outside of our tribe. So I was reading through some of the uh, natural church development stuff. When it came to love, and, and we've got some things, I've got some things hopefully that I'd like to introduce later on, but for right now, they said there's two things that you can measure that grow love in a church. The first was hospitality, which is one of our pathways. How often are people spending time with each other outside the church for a meal or for coffee or for whatever? If people are spending time, that love will grow. Hospitality, number one. I could give you 10 guesses, and I don't think any of you would get number two. Laugh. Laughter. They said, if, if you want to see a church that's growing in love, they laugh. You say, well, that's not biblical. <laughs> but you know what? Think about who you want to be around. Yeah. Think about, you know, when you're down, who do you want to go spend time with? Eeyore? Or Tigger? Look, when you're down, you pick Tigger. Hip-hop right? He's always up. Like, Tigger, like, everyone thinks they're bad. Like, he's still bouncing. Eeyore just wakes up in the morning, and he's already. I, I recognize there's some Eeyore-ish in me. Tiggers drive me crazy. We need to get outside of our tribes. So we asked, we looked at three things uh, this morning, and just kind of bringing this home here. Three things. The source of loving relationships, which is the Holy Spirit in us. The focus of loving relationships, which was for one thing for Thessalonica might be another thing for us. And the third is the purpose of loving relationships. What is the purpose of this? So in the last verse, he says, so that, here's, here's the result, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So going back up to the beginning of this passage where Paul says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us you, how you ought to walk to please God. One of the purposes of growing in our love for uh, Jesus Christ and for one another is simply to please God. We, we want to be a church, I hope, that wants to please God. And sometimes that means focusing off the things that we want, i.e., Owen opening and closing the same gate for 45 minutes. 
And the only reason why he stopped opening the gate and closing the gate for 45 minutes is that we went upstairs. And some of you are like, man, I've been, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And, and wait a second, is this, is this pleasing to God? What is it that God wants us to do? And so the problem with the assessment is that we don't just go, here's A, B, and C to turn the assessment around. The problem is that all of us need to be praying that God would show us what he wants us to be doing that we might please him. Second, uh, he says here to be a good witness to outsiders. The reason that we walk with one another through difficult times, that we love one another, that we love sacrificially, that we love outside of our tribe, that we show honor to other groups and try to outdo, the whole reason that we do that is because it's countercultural and it's a witness to those around us. When, when you've got people of different tribes worshiping and serving together, of different generations worshiping and serving together, when you have them living in peace and harmony, the world goes, that's different. Because outside the church, those groups don't normally get along. That is how we witness to what God is doing in our heart. Now, it's interesting, he says here, not to be a burden to the church. So going back to the work issue, one of the things that Paul is saying is like, you work with your hands and you work with your hands so that you're not a burden on one another. Now, it's a really hard balance, the fact that we want to make sure that we are loving those who are in need, but we're not enabling those who should be working. And one of the ways that we do that is we just recognize that we're all broken and we try to get together and talk and learn from one another. But we want to make sure that we're not being a burden on one another. And then finally, the reason that we want to do this is, is to grow in our faith. The, the overriding principle of this is to please God and to learn how we ought to walk so that we can be, grow in our sanctification. We want to grow in our faith. And one way we do that is by growing in our love for one another. So what's the application in action? Individually, how are you going to make love sizzle? How are you going to make love sizzle? Now, I hope the preaching sizzles because I work hard and I've trained and I've filled with the Holy Spirit. I hope all those things are true. And I hope the same is true with us growing in our love for one another. I hope that we work at it. I hope that we grow in it. I hope we study it. I hope we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we need to ask each other, like, how am, how am I going to change the environment at Hillsborough First Baptist Church to where love sizzles? And we need to ask, is there any areas of outstanding reconciliation? Is there anything I need to do to make sure that I haven't dealt with something that's causing me to not love other people in the congregation? So, um, as I was meditating uh, yesterday, and, and, I, and I've, you know, I, once you prepare a sermon, it's in your head, and I'm thinking through this, and I'm, I'm reading, and uh, one of my summer reads I was sharing with the Bible Study Methods class this morning is, I picked up John Bunyan's, I think it's 1864, uh, or 84, I can't remember, Pilgrim's Progress. And I don't, I don't think I've ever read through it. Um, I think it was read to me at some point in time in school, but I don't, I don't remember reading it. But 
I'm just through the first chapter. There's just already like a hundred different illustrations. But Christian is taking the walk and he comes to the miry bog or whatever you want to call it. And his partner takes off and leaves and he trudges forth and he, he asks evangelists when they meet up later, why is that there? How come nobody's fixed that? That's so great. At one point, he's kind of paraphrasing. He said, well, we have fixed it, but you guys keep breaking it. You know, I, there's, there's a point in where the Christian walk sometimes is hard. We just keep going. There's times when we just, we want to bail, but we have our eyes set on the gate and we're going to get there. And so it's really easy just to say, I don't have to deal with this. This is my problem. That's their problem. But you know what? It's not going to make love sizzle. And I think we need to ask, how can I show love outside my tribe? Um, You know, there's certain people that's just easy to get along with, be around because they think like us, they look like us, maybe they even smell like us, I don't know. There are other people where it's a little bit more of a challenge. It's scary. So in our charts, I didn't put this one up here, but it was really kind of interesting in the uh, uh, assessment, um, natural church development. Holistic small groups actually rated really high, and brotherly love, I mean, comparatively rated low. So one of the things we think that it says about us is that if you're in a tribe, you feel really love and connected. If you're not in a tribe, you don't feel love and connected. So one of the solutions is get into a small group. Another one is we need to get outside those groups to impact other people. And so maybe think about how do I get outside my tribe? So I give some general things, but here's a specific application. You can take it or leave it. I prefer you take it. I would like each of you to write one note this week to somebody in the church and thank them or encourage them. Now, I know everybody wants the church to give everybody the address. You can ask them. You can give it to me. I can give it to them. Whatever. We'll work it out if you don't have their address. But let's just do that. That's number one. Reach out to somebody to to share that you care. And the second one is a little bit harder. But in the next month, show hospitality to somebody outside your tribe. Rich, they're here for you. Um, no. Um, how, can you, how can you show love for somebody? And, you know, you don't have to have them over for dinner. Go out for coffee, you know, go to the park, you know, bring your own drink, whatever. Just, just meet with somebody. Um, so this week, send a note. This month, meet with somebody. And, look, the idea is not to fix something overnight, but just to turn it up just a little bit. We're at that time of the year where my wife and I are fighting over the thermostat. And uh, I'm the opposite of most men. I'm saying, we're, we're paying for that stuff. Let's cool this place down, man. And so I'll get home and I'll just go all the way down, which our heat pump doesn't like and that floods my parents' house. But that's another story. It's hot. My wife is like, wait, wait Dave, can we just set this at a temperature and just keep it there? 
look, what we're saying is let's just turn it up just a notch. Let's not go crazy. Let's turn it up a notch. And over time, let's see love sizzle in our church. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your love for us that uh, motivates us, that moves us to love other people. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our example to love other people. But most of all, thank you that we have a new heart that enables us to love other people. And God, help us to glorify you um, by worshiping in a way that shows people that we are different because of Jesus Christ. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.